when when we when I we go to one, we're gonna start. Okay. Hello world, it's Siraj. Welcome to this live session. Uh, today we're going to build a sequence-to-sequence -sequence model in TensorFlow. And so, uh, let me mute this. Okay, so we're going to build a sequence-to-sequence -sequence model in TensorFlow. Oh my god, there's so many. There we go. Just muting everything. We are going to build, let me say that again, we're going to build a sequence-to-sequence -sequence model in TensorFlow. Are we going to do it for a chatbot? No. Are we going to do it for a uh, translation system? No. Are we going to do it for uh, anything useful? No. The point of this is to learn the architecture. So that's what we're focused on. We're going to focus on learning the architecture. It's not about the application this time. And I'm rolling up my sleeves because it's just cool. It doesn't actually have anything to do with anything. But uh, so that's what I'm doing right now. And <laughs> okay, so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to have some toy data. And you can see right here, this is the output. This is what the output should look like. So we're going to give it some sequence of inputs. We're going to give it some sequence of inputs like this. Let me make that bigger. And it's going to be like, that, that could be a sequence. 4, 8, 5 could be. And then the end is just padding. We just add zeros at the end randomly. OK? And uh, then we try to predict that same sequence. That's, that's the same sequence we want to predict. So we give it an input sequence, we encode it, and then we decode it. And then we compare that decoded output to that initial sequence. So it's actually going to be different. And I'm going to show you why. Right? Th this, is a, this is an example of how memory works in a sequence-to-sequence -sequence model. OK? Uh, so. And as you can see, it starts off bad, but eventually, at the very, very end, the predicted output is the same as the uh, initial input. OK, so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to predict that same input, input sequence, and in the process, learn how memory works in a sequence-to-sequence -sequence model. OK, so that's what we're going to do. And the first question is, well, what type of, uh, this is not an autoencoder. But what it is, is a, a, a bi-directional encoder-decoder architecture. So there's the simple encoder-decoder architecture, which we can look at. And it looks like this, encoder-decoder architecture. And you know, a lot of initial papers use this. They use an initial encoder-decoder architecture where the, are you kidding me, Google? This is your stuff, Google. So it, it just looked like this, right? So you would have. Uh, values go one way in the encoder, and then they would decode the other way. But what we're going to do is we're going to do an improvement on that. We're going to add, we're going to make the encoder bidirectional. Now, recall that we talked about this in the language transla translator video, and uh, we talked about how having a bidirectional encoder gives you the full context of that input sequence. You could you could you could talk about both the future and the past. So, so that's, that's why we're using a bi-directional encoder. And uh, yeah, th that's what we're doing. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's start building this thing, shall we? So let's just get, drive right into it. Uh, but first, let me answer two minutes worth of questions. And we're going to answer questions every at 15-minute interval. So any questions you guys have? Yes, I have a new hairstyle. Machine learning, deep learning questions. I finally got time to cut my hair, I know. Time is very hard to come by these days, but that's the way I like it. What is the best way to identify if a feature in a model is statistically significant or not? 
For inputs A, B, C, and output E, what is the best way to tell which inputs most contribute to E? That is a great question. So before deep learning, we had to manually pick what those best features were because we didn't have a way for our model to learn what is the ideal features to use. So that's a whole field of engineering that existed before deep learning, which was called feature engineering. And the, uh, the ideal way to pick that was to think about what features you personally would use when trying to predict some output. So if it was a classifier and you're trying to, and you're trying to classify a dog, you would pick, well, what would I need to know to classify a dog? Well, I would look at its what type of dog it is. I would look at its, the color of its fur and you know, the size of its ears and things like that. So that's a good rule of thumb to go by. What are the features you personally would look for uh, when trying to classify or do another task? Okay. Uh, is this also in line for Udacity NanoDegree DL? Yes, this is a part of the Udacity NanoDegree. And these videos are public for you guys, okay? How about predicting the alphabet? I have a little snippet that generates a data set for your previous sequence to sequence code. You can absolutely predict the alphabet. That is a 25 character long sequence, okay? And this, this exact code can be used to predict the alphabet, okay? You can apply this exact code. Well, you would just switch out the, the data, but this, this can be applied. Two more questions, and then we're gonna get started with the code. Does this model use GRUs? No, it does not, but we will use GRUs. GRUs are being used more and more, and I'm not gonna say they are objectively better than LSTMs, but they are turning out to have better outcomes than LSTMs in a lot of cases, yes. One more question. Would you work on neural links? So I'm very excited about the idea. We need that to happen for us to keep up with AI, for us to merge with it. That's the goal, for us to become the gods and not have it become some, you know, runaway god. We want to merge with it, right, and become amazing. So yes, I, I, would I work with them? No, because I'm focused on making content for you guys. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And no one else can do what I'm doing. So that's why I'm doing, well, in the way that I do it with my personality and stuff. So that's what, that's what my job is. That's what I'm focused on. But I will collaborate with Neuralink. I will collaborate with OpenAI. I will collaborate with Google. That's it for questions. So let's get started with the code. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to Import our dependencies. So dependencies time. Let's see. And let me know if this is not big enough, right? Let me know if the text is not big enough. Uh, so, so these are our dependencies. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to import numpy to do our matrix math. And by the way, the code is in the description. Check it out. Follow along as I'm writing this, okay? And I'm going to explain it. There's a lot of comments. There's a lot of documentation for this code. I really tried to document it as best that I could. Uh, they're both, okay? So in Markdown and in the comments. So we're going to uh, import NumPy and then, of course, TensorFlow for ML. And then we're going to have our helpers. So our helper is just, it's, it's one class and it ha only has two functions. Those functions are formatting the data and uh, generating the random sequence of data. Generating sequence, sequential, generating random sequence data. And we'll talk about what that data looks like. Okay? So those are our dependencies. So now what we're going to do is, oh, uh, there's one more thing. We want to uh, run this reset default graph function, which is going to clear the default graph stack, and it's going to reset the global default graph. It's just a, one of those initial steps that we just have to do. And we normally wouldn't have to do this, but we're going to do this in TensorFlow because like, if we had multiple graphs for some reason, this would be a good thing if we, if we wanted to clear our cache. But we're just doing it because it's, you know, uh, 
It's a good introductory step. And of course, we want to activate our session. Okay, we're going to do this at the very beginning. Um, and uh, the version of TensorFlow that I'm using is 1.0. Okay, hold on. Nope, tf.version. Okay, so that's the version of TensorFlow. <laughs> let's not spam, guys. Okay, so here we go with this. So let's start off by uh, defining the vocabulary size. So recall that for encoder-decoder architecture, we have to have a fixed size input vector. Now, sequences are variable length, like how are you versus how are you doing today. One is only four characters long, but one is five characters. So how do we solve this? Well, we add padding to the end. What we do is we add zeros to the end. So you know, one sequence could be this, you know, one sequence could be like this, the next sequence could be this, but they have to be the same length. So what do we do? We add zeros just like this so they are the same length. So that's what we're doing right now. Okay, 350 people live, that's the way I like it, okay? So let's define our pad as zero and our end of sentence as one. So EOS stands for end of sentence and it's a token that specifies for our model when our sentence ends, okay? And now we're going to define our vocabulary size. So, you know, that is the, we are predicting what is, what is the max, max length for that input sequence. So we're going to say it's going to be 10. So in this case, it's going to be 10 because we're generating toy data. But uh, uh, in other cases, this could be very, very long. Okay, so then we're going to define our input embedding size, uh, which is going to be 20, which is the length of the characters. And so vocab size is the words, and then character length, is, and then the, uh, and then input embedding size is the. We take that input sequence and then we convert it to a vector, and that that vector is what we then feed into the model. It's not that we just feed this raw um, these raw words directly in. We have to convert them to vectors. And embedding vector it means the same thing, and we're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. So that's it for that. So the next step is for us to define our hidden units. So. Let's, let's define these hidden units and then talk about what they are. So encoder hidden units and decoder hidden units. We have 20 of these. And for our decoder, we're going to say we want 20 times 2. So why are we saying 20 times 2? Let's, let's talk about why we are saying 20 times 2. In the original paper, they had 1,000 units. So in the original paper by Tsutskever, uh, for sequence-to-sequence -sequence model, where they introduced this model, they used 1,000 for them. They used 1,000 for both the encoder and then 1,000 uh, hidden units for the decoder. And generally, that's what we want. We want them to be the same number of hidden units. But in this case, I'm saying the decoder is going to be double the size of the encoder. Why? Well, we want it to be a little different. We want that output value to be a little different. It's just going to be the same as the input, right? And we want it to change a little bit. So adding hidden units is going to change ever so slightly our output so that we can then um, minimize it, right? So um, that's why we're having it be multiplying by 2. So yes, great. So now we're going to define our placeholder. So placeholders time. Placeholders are. Shout it out, what are they? They are gateways. They are gateways for data into our computation graph. These are the gateways, and they are, they are primitives in TensorFlow, and they are, uh, we always have to use them, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to have three placeholders. We're going to have placeholders for our inputs uh, and our decoder and the targets. 
Okay, so then we're going to define a couple of parameters, uh, the size of these, and then we're going to name them as well because uh, these are names for our computation graph. So we're going to actually talk about a tensor board next live session. Oops, I just spilled something. So this is a good way for us to differentiate between uh, different um, primitives in TensorFlow. That's why we add names to it. And so then we're going to have uh, inputs length, the length of the inputs. So actually, that's the, the next placeholder, the length of the inputs. So we have our inputs, the length of them, and then the uh, the uh, decoder targets. So then we have our shape. The shape is going to be none. And then we have our data type. Okay, so we want them to all be the same data type because that, that's what we're operating in. And if we didn't do that, then we probably have some kind of errors that start popping up, okay? So int32, D type is int32. And then uh, the name is going to be uh, encoder uh, inputs, encoder inputs length. Okay? And then we're going to have, okay, so inputter length, and then we actually have one more uh, no, yeah, that's fine. Uh, decoder targets. So decoder targets are going to be tf.placeholder, shape, and then none, none. Because they are empty right now. We, the, the, uh, we're going to define them later in a second, okay? Data type I do think uh, PyTorch is going to be hot. So data type is going to be tf.in32. And uh, got to remember to answer questions after this. And then finally, our uh, decoder targets. OK, so those are that. So we're going to get an error right here. So the I knew it. So it's for this. Encoder inputs. Uh, let's see here. Invalid syntax. Let's debug this. So we have encoder inputs. And then we have, it's going to be a TensorFlow placeholder. Let's see the whole thing here. What's going on over here? We want to maximize that. And so we have encoder inputs. And then we have, it's a TF placeholder with a shape value, none, none, data type. And then we have input. So it's actually not on that. It's on encoder inputs.length. And the syntax, uh, yes, that's the one. Great. And now for the length, it's going to be tf.placeholder, shape, uh, none, data type, input length. So why do I have W here in my code? I shouldn't have that. And then... Uh, Someone's saying there's a comma missing from shape, none, equals none, comma. Like that? Yeah. Okay. Encoder inputs length dot shape. So in my the actual code, I put a W there for some reason. Where did I put a W like right... Where did I put it? At the end? That the comma, yes. Hold on. So I put a W here at the end in, in my the initial code. And let me add these. Okay. See, why did I put a W? That Oh Siraj, here we go. Okay. So there's no W, great. Okay, so now to our embedding layers. Okay? Oh, let me answer two questions, okay? So we are at the 15-minute mark. Let me answer two questions. Any questions, guys? Yes, tf.n32. Okay, so now we're going to define our embeddings. Uh, oh, and I'm here 
I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but I'm here at the Upload VR Studios. Uh, so check them out. Subscribe to them with Azad uh, Balabanian. Totally yeah, forgot yeah. about saying that. Uh, so yeah, just remember that. Remember his name, OK? Links down below. Links down below, yes. So, um, and this wouldn't be possible without him, so big round of applause. So now what we're going to do is we're going to define our embeddings. So we have our uh, variable. Uh, oh, and then one question. So what's best suited for ML, Mac, or Windows, or Linux? Uh, Linux and Mac, any kind of Unix-based system. Why? Because most of these libraries are, they, when I look at Stack Overflow errors, when I look at GitHub uh, issues, it seems that people on Windows tend to have more issues because the people who are writing these libraries are using them on Unix-based systems. So it just so happens to be that way. Um, yes. So OK, so now for our embedding. So we want to convert our, our sequences to embeddings, right? So we're going to use the TensorFlow primitive variable to do this, OK? We have, we're going to, we're going to initialize an embedding matrix randomly. So we're going to use TF's built-in uniform random function to, to, to build this. And it's going to be the vocab size. So we're going to, this is going to be a matrix of values. And it's going to, then we're going to fill it. We're going to uh, fill it, OK? So now we have our vocab size, and then we have our input embedding size. And then we have, what is, that, what is, the, what is the interval that we want to generate from? From negative 1 to 1. Uh, it's, it's a distribution from negative 1 to 1 of values. And then we have our uh, data type, of course. Our data type is going to be, is the audio really out of sync? Dot float. I'm looking into it. We have Azad looking into that. OK, and then we have encoder inputs embedded. So now we're going to take that embedding matrix and we're going to add in the, um, inputs. OK. So what did we just do? So what we just did is we randomly initialized an embedding matrix that can fit the input sequence. And then uh, once we did that, we then put our encoder inputs into that embedding matrix. And that embedding matrix is what we then feed to our encoder. So let's now build that encoder, right? We have our embedding uh, matrix, and now we can feed that directly to our encoder. So for our encoder, so define encoder. So for our encoder. TensorFlow has so many updates. Like, they're all over the place, and version changes and API changes, like all software. And so the LSTM cell is always changing where it is. Before, it used to be, I think it was in, um, the LSTM cell used to be in, um, where was it? In the previous version, it was in just a different place. And now it's in under ops RNN cell. And in later versions, it'll probably change. So it's always a good idea to keep up with these API changes. Um, and the best way to do that is the TensorFlow documentation. OK, so we're going to uh, import our LSTM cell and our LSTM state tuple. I'll talk about the second one and why we're importing that in a second. OK, so that's, we're going to define our encoder. So our encoder cell, and it's just one cell, is going to be an LSTM cell right? that we just imported. And we're going to define the number of hidden units uh, as that number we defined previously. And that's how many, which was uh, 
20, 20 neurons. 20 of these. Voice of God is awesome. I'm glad you guys like the voice of God. So that's 20 of these encoder cells, okay? And remember, each of these is an LSTM itself. Each neuron is an LSTM, okay? And um, so that's our encoder cell. And uh, see, deprecation warning, but it's fine. It's just a warning, but it will soon be deprecated. I knew it would happen. So, so now, um, so this is actually like a, a spatial, a very hellish uh, spatial line to write out, which is probably going to, you know, in Python especially with all of the syntax. So I'm just going to paste this part in. Let's talk about what this is. This is the dynamic RNN. So when using a standard RNN to make predictions, we're only taking the past into account, right? Um, so for certain tasks, this makes sense whenever we're predicting the next word in a sequence. But for some tasks, it would be useful to take both the past and the future into account. Okay, so this is the bi-directional part. We're taking both the past and the future into account. So let me talk about uh, what we're doing here. Okay, so in order to demo this, I'm going to do some VR to demo this. Okay, we're going to talk about how a bi-directional layer works over time. Okay, so let's get some VR going, and I'm just going to draw this out in VR uh, for you guys. Cool, thanks. Probably need two of these. Okay, so. Let's see if we could get our VR mode on. Yep. We're in our VR mode, okay? So, so, um, so we have our encoder decoder, right? So we have our encoder, encoder. This is so fun. And then we have our decoder. And this is a high level abstraction of what it is, right? We all get this idea that we are taking our encoder, and so we're giving it a sequence, right? So we're giving it a sequence like, you know, how are you? How are you and we're taking the sequence we're actually converting it to our embedding matrix ours which is a vector and then we're feeding the vector into right so it's it's here's the steps right because you can see you guys can see all this right this is dope yep so we have our input sequence we vectorize it and we feed it to our encoder and then we want that final hidden state right we want this final hidden state so the hidden state. We don't feed the output of the encoder to the decoder. Remember, we feed the hidden state, which we'll call h. So we'll just say hidden. Right? So this is we embed this into a vector, and then the encoder further embeds it across as many, um, as many neurons as we define. And so because this is bidirectional, uh, it's looping over, uh, over the sequence from both left and right. So since it's bidirectional, it's looping over the sequence both in both left and right directions. And then what we're doing, and so now it's time for 3D, so I'm going to go over <laughs> here. What we're doing is through time, and this, is, this represents through time, we're feeding in the H, the hidden state, and we're also feeding in the, pre the previous input. So this is backpropagation through time. So there's two values. So BP through time. My handwriting needs to get better in VR, but just like bear with me for a second. So, so I'm, I'm trying to demo like through time. So right, input sequence, vectorized encoder, get the hidden state, and take the hidden state and the previous input and feed it back into the encoder, okay? And so we feed it back into the encoder, and then uh, that's one full time step. So in one full time step, once we feed that in, then we feed that into the decoder. So we roll it 
feet decoder. Roll, feet decoder. Okay, and so over and over and over again for every word that we have in our input sequence. And then we feed it to our decoder. Our decoder will output a, um, uh, a vector. And then from that vector, we convert that into our, uh, in this case, it's going to be the initial value, how are you? But in other cases, in chatbots, it would be, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. Or in, you know, translation system, it would be French. Okay, so that's the high level of what we're doing here. Hope you guys like that. Okay, so back to this. People love the VR. People love the VR. Okay, it's super cool, isn't it? Okay, so we have to keep going, guys. So it's super cool, I know. So now, uh, here we go with this. It's a vibe, it's a vibe, yeah. Uh, Great. So now, let's uh, do what I was just talking about. So let's now programmatically do what I was just talking about. Okay. So we're going to concatenate our tensors along one dimension. So we're going to take. So this is the actual um, step where we are combining our. Uh, this is the bidirectional step. So this is the bidirectional step. Let me let me write that. Bidirectional step. Okay, so we'll talk about what that means, bidirectional step. So what we have here, what we have here is we have our outputs for our encoder. So we have our encoder outputs, and the encoder outputs, we're going to use TensorFlow's concatenate function to do this. We're going to have both our forward outputs and our backward outputs. So our forward outputs are what we, we spit out from this dynamic cell, right? We got our forward outputs, our backward outputs, our forward final states, and our backward final states. So they're states and outputs for both the encoder uh, for, sorry, for both the forward and the backward uh, parts of the bidirectional RNN, okay? Forward and backward. FW and BW means forward and backwards. So we have states for both how are you and then you are how, okay? And what this does is it allows us to take into account the full context, so both the past and the future. This is definitively better. I'm telling you right now that it is better to do this every time. It is more computationally expensive to have a bi-directional layer, but just think about it. It's you want the future and you want the past when you're trying to make a prediction. It it's a word, a story, a sequence is all about what's the story is about what's happening all over it, whether it be music, whether it be art, words, numbers, if there's a pattern. If there is a pattern, both the past and the future matters. So having bi-directional layers, although more computationally expensive, gives us better. Uh, predictions. Okay, so so now we're going to take our encoder outputs and we're going to take our encoder out forward outputs and our encoder backwards outputs, and we're going to concatenate them along a along uh, two axes. Axis axes is the plural, uh, and so uh, that's going to give us our encoder outputs. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take the final state the final state C. Uh, so that's that's for our outputs. And then we're going to have our concatenate function to take our okay, so we're going to take our encoder forward final state dot C. And then we're going to take the encoder backwards final state dot C. 
Okay, and so what is this? What are these words? What is CN one? Let me let me write this out, and then we're going to. Uh, I'm moving a bit too fast. Okay, so hold on. So this specific part, I'm going to paste because there's a lot to explain here. So, okay. So we have a final state C and we have a final state H, and I can slow down as well. So what we have here is we have so H and C are commonly used to denote output value and cell state. So it's both the output value and the cell state. And we want to concatenate both of those for both our forward and our backwards, um, our forward and backward outputs. Okay? Um, So that's what we're so we're concatenating both of those values, and we get a final state using the LS. And so now this is why we imported LSTM state tuple at the beginning. This is why we imported it because we're going to use that final state C and the final state H. So that's the that's the when I say C and H, I'm talking about the internal state of the cell and the output value. We're combining all of those to get that final state for the encoder, and that this value right here is what we then feed into our decoder. It is a combination of both our forward, our backwards, our cell state, and our output. We combine it all together, and that's what we feed into our decoder. So now let's, let's define our decoder. So our decoder. I think there's an encoder mistake where you misspelled E-O-R at the end. I'm trying to find it here. Someone said there's an yeah. encoder. To misspelling at Mistake. the end, but I don't see it in this. Uh, someone encoder. Someone said there's an encoder mistake. I don't see it. Yeah, I'm not either. All right, whatever. So where were we? So now we're going to define our decoder. So for our decoder, for our decoder, we want to do. It's going to be very similar, but different and I'll show you what the difference is. So let's define it. So this is going to be similar. We define it the same way. It's still an LSTM cell. Uh, remember the number of hidden units is different. It's double that of the uh, okay. And then uh, we're going to define our Batch size, and then our, we're going to unstack. So let me talk about what I'm doing right here. So what I'm doing right here is, uh, what I'm doing here is I'm going to define our encoder and our tf.unstack.tf.shape encoder inputs. Okay, so let's define our decoder. Defining our decoder. Defining our decoder. So we have our uh, decoder cell, and we're going to we've defined our decoder cell. And so what this this step does is what we really care about is the batch size. This is going to give us the batch size. We have all of those inputs, and we want to feed it into our decoder in batches. Batches because that's how we train, right? We feed our data into batches, uh, data into our decoder in batches, like uh, subsets. They're subsets, okay? Uh, Okay, so uh, right. So then we're going to have the length of the decoder, which is going to be 
the encoder inputs length plus three. So why do we add plus three? Because we have two additional steps. One for the leading end of sentence token for the decoder inputs. We want it to be a little bigger because we have an end of sentence token at the end that's just going to help us help our model know uh, that this is the end of a sequence. This is in natural language processing. We have these end of sentence tokens all the time. Um, I'm actually I don't think we have models that can know when the sentence is over yet. I've, I actually I haven't seen a model that doesn't use these uh, either padding or um, some kind of end of sentence token to specify, you know, that the sentence is over yet. We we need to get there. We need to get there where we just feed it in and we don't have to do any of these uh, pre-processing steps. But we'll get there. Okay. Uh, so now let me answer some questions since we're 15 minutes in. Uh, does dividing into smaller batches is is dividing into smaller batches more computationally expensive? No, no, it's not. Uh, because it's still the same amount of input data. Uh, but what, what having it uh, in batches does is it, it makes our prediction better because uh, we have more iterations that are happening. So there are more uh, weight updates happening. It, it actually, honestly, it is a little more computationally expensive, but it's so, it's so uh, small. The difference is so small. So don't 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 worry about that. Uh, I appreciate it, Paul, for waking up at 4 a.m. in Melbourne for this. Uh, okay, so this is a good question. In what ways are GRUs outperforming LSTMs? I recently read a paper that says adding a bias of one to the LSTMs for getGate closes the gap between the LSTM and the GRU. So GRU cells are very similar to LSTMs, and we're definitely going to talk about that in this coming weekly video in three days. But to sum it up, so GRUs have less gates than LSTMs. There's just a reset gate and there's a uh, update gate. So whereas LSTMs have a forget gate, they have three gates. So it's two gates. So it's less computation happening. So it's less computationally expensive. And not only is it less computationally expensive, it tends to have better results, specifically for dynamic memory networks, which is a really, really cool model type that I'm going to start talking about as we get further into this course. We have four more videos in this course, and we are now, we are now, guys, if you don't understand all of this, don't worry. We are at the bleeding edge of deep learning. This course is called Intro to Deep Learning, but we went from doing linear regression at the start to we are about to go we are about to get into generative adversarial networks, and we're about to get into the bleeding edge of all of AI, which is not even deep learning in the last episode, which is I'm most excited for, which is called probabilistic programming, which is some future stuff. And you know how much I like the future. So that's going to be awesome. One more question. Uh, hey, Siraj, what model would you use to analyze repetition in speech? Repetition in speech? Great question. Repetition in speech, what do you mean by analyze repetition in speech? So I've just got to clarify for you. Uh, analyzing repetition in speech, uh, so maybe the frequency of repetition. So how would I do this? So, th so this is a w good way of thinking about it. So you would, um, you could consider it a classification problem. So an easy way to do that would be to, an easy way computationally to do that would be to pre-label uh, what each sentence is. So you know, you would say like, how often does this label, you know, X appear versus Y and Z and A, B, C, D, D. So it'd be a multi-class classification problem. Uh, and you would uh, use a deep net. And you would use a, 
you wouldn't even have to use an encoder decoder because you would just define how many times this uh, label shows up in the data. So it would be a multi-class classification deep net using uh, supervised learning with labels and um, inputs. One more question, evolutionary strategies, that is coming, GANs are coming, and uh, are large batches always worse than smaller batches in terms of prediction accuracy? Uh, are large batches always worse than smaller batches in terms of prediction accuracy? That, as, as far as I've seen, yes. But it's not like, it's not like there's like some, in, uh, some exponential in terms of like, you know, you can never, you know, you can just get infinitely smaller in terms of batches. And by infinitely smaller, I mean you can have an infinitely large number of batch, uh, batch steps. Uh, but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bell curve, right? So there's a point where it's at the optimal level of batch step, and then it goes down again. Remember, batch steps are one of many hyperparameters, and all of machine learning, all of deep learning, oh, sorry, all of deep learning is about tuning those hyperparameters. And to me, what I would like to see, what I would like to see you guys work on, what I would like to see more people work on is ways of learning these hyperparameters. Because deciding these hyperparameters is so annoying sometimes, right? Uh, because they're so arbitrary. There's no way for us to really know. We have to learn them manually, and it takes up a lot of our time from looking at what is really necessary, and that is a higher level architecture. So let's find out easier ways of learning these hyperparameters. Okay, so that's it for questions. Now we're going to, we've defined our decoder and the lengths, and now we're going to define our weights and biases. So, hold on. So our weights and biases are going to be our, so our output projection. So let's define our, define our weights and biases. So remember, this is all for the decoder. We're working on the decoder values. So for our decoder values, we have both weights and biases. And these weights are what we're going to use. We're, we're manually defining these. So remember, we didn't define these for the encoder because, because TensorFlow had those built in for us in that dynamic RNN function. But we're going to be a little more detailed with our decoder. Why? Because we are going to implement attention ourselves. Okay, so I want to show you guys how attention works. So I've kind of skipped on attention before. I've just said, you know, hand wave, this is attention, boom. But now we're going to implement a little bit of what, are, what, are, what's, what is called soft attention. And we'll talk about that. So we're going to define these weights and biases for our decoder manually. Uh, okay, so where were we? Where were we? So where were we? Right, so... These weights are going to be initialized randomly using, again, TensorFlow's random uniform function. We use that a lot. And then we want to define the size of that in terms of tensors. So it's going to be the size, it's going to be a uh, three-dimensional tensor. So we have the number of hidden units, the vocab size, and then the distribution from negative one to one, given our data type. And it's all in 32 bits. And uh, right, so then our bias. Our bias is going to be tf.variable, tf.zeros, and then the vocab size, followed by the type. Okay, so then that's the type. And let's talk about this. Okay, 
and I'll answer questions in five minutes. So think about your questions in five minutes. This is gonna be the next question mark. I'll answer them. TF.float32. Okay. Okay. Weights and biases. These are our weights and biases, guys. And so it's gonna be of size, so the number of hidden units. So right, th these weights, and the reason we said we put the the hidden units as a uh, as an, as an input to this, is because the weights have to connect all of those hidden units to the output, what the output's gonna be. So we take all of those values, and then we multiply it by the weights, which is uh, initialized as a random matrix, and is going to learn what the optimal weight value should be to get that value, right? So, <clears throat> right, so, okay. Okay, so now, we're going to get into the attention part. Okay, so uh, let's talk about attention. So to get attention, let's see, let's see. Guys, if you're lost, don't worry about it. This stuff is, remember, the bleeding edge. And I'm gonna get better. I'm just gonna get better at explaining it. I'll get better examples. You're gonna get better. Just by looking at this, you're getting better. Kudos to you. Thank you for being here, by the way. I need to say thank you to you guys. You guys are awesome for being here, for wanting to learn this awesome stuff. This is the most important stuff in the entire world. More important than anything else you can be doing in the world it is working on AI. If you are a smart person in the world right now, more important than politics, more important than climate change, more important than anything else in the world, you should be working on AI. Why? Because we are the closest to solving it across all these problem spaces. And if we can solve this, we can solve everything else. So what we're gonna do is we're going to uh, talk about the next steps here. And to do that, let me just paste this in because we have a lot to, to go still. And uh, we don't have time to really type out everything. So we are now, now is the padding step. Remember I, I defined the pad and EOS uh, functions before? Now, is, now we're going to actually pad those inputs. So we have, uh, we've embedded them those values, we've embedded those values into our projection matrix, right? We took our inputs and we embedded them. And now what we're going to do is we are going to, now we're going to add those paddings. So, we, so we're going to add the paddings to it. And that's what, so the, the embedding lookup function of TensorFlow retrieves the rows of the, of the parameters tensor, which is in this case the uh, embedding matrix, and the behavior is similar to using indexing with arrays in NumPy. So this is essentially just adding the padding and the end of sentence token to our um, to our uh, embedding lookup. Okay, so that's what the end of sentence and padding steps do. And now get ready for attention, guys, because I have never like fully programmatically uh, defined attention, and so now we're going to define attention. So bear with me. This is going to be awesome. Bear with me. Okay. So now we're going to now we're going to implement attention. Okay. And there's there there are two functions here that we have to implement. So for attention, now remember for the encoder we defined uh, that that function. What was it? The function that we defined was. Let's look at it again, just so we remember what it was. It was called bidirectional dynamic RNN. That functionality, the looping functionality that I did in VR a second ago, where we're taking the previous hidden state and the input and feeding both of those back in, that's all done by this one line. All of that is done by this one line. But for the decoder, we are going to do that manually because we want to see how it works. So this is what we're going to do manually. We are going to loop 
This, is, this function does that loop manually for us. <clears throat> so what we are doing at, at, in this is we are first saying, what is the end of sentence step to get that initial input? What is the initial cell state? And then what is the loop state? And uh, all it does is it's going to initialize these, these values and then return them. Because the loop isn't actually happening here. The loop happens in the next function. All we're doing in this function is defining what the end of sentence state is, what the cell state is, what the initial output is, which is going to be none to start off with, and then return those values to, to then loop in a second. So now, now we're going to loop. Okay. So now we're going to loop. Let's get to the looping part. Let's paste this in as well. Got a lot to go, a lot to go. Okay, so for our so here's our attention mechanism. So this is considered um, soft attention. Okay, it's considered soft as opposed to hard attention uh, because it's a very uh, trivial form of attention. And I'm going to explain exactly what that is. Okay, so. Let's talk about what we're, what, we're, what we're doing here. So we have loop fn initial. And uh, so, OK, so let's talk about what we're doing here. What this does is it's going to get the next, the next input in the next state. So remember the loop? That's what this is doing. It's transitioning for the loop. And. Uh, so let me talk about what this does. But I said I would answer questions at the 45-minute mark, so let me answer some questions right now. So Paul Grady's got a question. He's, Paul, yeah. uh, and he's asking, are we going to be exposed into TensorFlow uh, in the Udacity course, or the intro te TensorFlow, or should they start focusing and learning it on their own way? Yes, we will be learning TensorFlow in the Udacity course, and we will be learning TensorFlow um, just from here on out until um, you know, anything better comes along, which PyTorch is starting to get pretty hot. So also check out PyTorch, because I definitely am, because their documentation is pretty dope. When we write codes to create a predictive model, what is the output? Is it an object, a DLL, an EXE? Thanks in advance. Uh, the output is a set. It, well, the output could be anything, but it, is, um, it could be numbers. It could be words. It could be, depending on what you're trying to predict. You're trying to predict the next word. Are you trying to predict the next number? Are you trying to predict a label? Is this a cat or a dog? But it's going to be a variable in code, a programmatic variable, a space in memory that we define with a word in programmatically, like label. So it's a, a set of integer numbers. But it's not an exe. It's not some kind of, uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a binary executable file that you just run like a program. It's just a set of. It's like memory. So if you were to even print you know, a variable, it would be a variable. Okay. When we feed words from our, two more questions. When we feed words from our text example to the model, are we, how are we handling pronouns? For example, if we have a text on Sir Albert Einstein, many of the times we'll refer to him as he, his, him, etc. Okay, so great question. So before deep learning, so this, again, before deep learning, we had to define these things. We had to, and this was this was an, a whole subfield of natural language processing, which was called, which is called, uh, a part of speech tagging. So we would manually tag these parts of speech. And how do we use that? Well, we use, there are a bunch of banks, like word banks, that just they're like dictionaries where they have like just give it a word and it'll tell you the part of speech. These are pre-recorded. 
And so that's, that's one way to do it. But with deep learning, we have to think about this at a higher level, where it's just data in, data out. We don't, don't even, I know, you know, as humans, we want to worry about these things, but we won't have to, we don't have to, because it'll learn what are pronouns more or less. It's not going to define them as pronouns, but internally, in its hidden states, the more data we feed it, it'll learn what a pronoun is, and by that I mean when to use it, when not to use it. One more question. Uh, the bioinformatics question. What about deep learning in bioinformatics? What about it? Uh, so I guess you're asking about use cases. So bioinformatics are like like eye scans and stuff, right? Like bio uh, thumbprints and stuff. Yes, uh, that, absolutely. We could use machine learning for that to learn um, what to learn what. A certain biological signature looks like. Like, what is this type of person? What does their biological signature look like by giving it data of a certain type? Remember, it's a label. It's a class. It could be a classification problem. That's kind of generally what I what I see. Bioinformat the use case for deep learning in bioinformatics. Um, also, anomaly detection. Like, uh, maybe somebody uh, is very different. So, uh, somebody who has some off genetics. Some, some, one of their genes is like different than the rest, uh, and it can be used for anomaly detection, which would be unsupervised clustering. And for that, I would use state-of-the-art generative adversarial networks. That's it for questions. Let's get back into this. OK. Uh, where were we? So back to this. So the loop function. So here's for the attention mechanism. So the attention mechanism, and the only time I'm going to answer questions after this is at the very end. So that's in 10 minutes. The loop function, we're going to get the next input. So what are we doing here? We're going to get the dot product between the previous output and the weights, and then add the bias. So matrix multiply the previous output and the weights and the bias. And remember to think about that VR thing that I just did, the VR demo. That's what's happening here. We're looping it over time. And that's going to give us our output logits. And then we're going to use the argmax function. And this line is attention. This line is attention. What do I mean? The argmax function will return the index with the largest value across the axis of a tensor. That largest value is the one that we are picking as our prediction. So that picking, that choosing step, is attention. What do you pay attention to? Remember, attention is a very broad term. It's a very broad term, and we could use it to pick what is the best value arbitrarily. We could generate a probability distribution and say, you know, over this certain threshold, those are the values we want. Attention mechanisms are words that we use for how we pick what the best value is from a set by whatever definition of best that we define is. And that depends on your use case. So this is the attention mechanism. Remember, it's really not that complicated. It's just one line. The attention mechanism is just one line of code. Okay. Uh, so then, once we have our prediction, we're going to embed the prediction for the next input using this embedding lookup layer. So we, we have that input, and we want to feed it back into our network. And that's going to be our next input. And then we're going to say, this, this line de defines what the, uh, what the ending sequence is going to be, the, or the ending scalar. This, this tells us that we are done looping. Uh, and so then, <clears throat> what we do. is we have to, uh, and so this, 
reduce all is the logical end of elements across dimensions of a tensor. So we are saying this is going to output a Boolean scalar. Are we done or not? And then a conditional that says, is it, if, if it's done or not, then continue and get that input value. And it's just like a, um, remember from data structures and algorithms, when we would, uh, for binary trees and for, uh, for any kind of or for any kind of tree-like structure, we would then set the previous state to the current state and then the previous um, leaf to this leaf. That's, that's kind of what we're doing here. It's the same thing. It's a, it's, it's a data structure. It is a data structure. A cell is a data structure. And the time element is why we're switching the previous to the current. This is that. You should remember this from data structures and algorithms. Um, by the way, if you haven't taken data structures and algorithms, definitely do that and see my uh, how to succeed in any programming interview video. Okay? so. We got to start wrapping up. Okay, so I'm getting notes. We got to start wrapping up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start reading this. Can we? We can end in eight minutes. Five minutes. Okay, we have five minutes, guys. Um, this is just a one-time thing. Next time I'm going to be. Uh, I won't uh, go over this much over the time I'm allotted. So don't worry about it, guys. So let's let's. Oh, so we had that. Uh, so. I'm going to be reading off of my code because we are running out of time. So it, don't worry, we, we're, we're almost done. We only have uh, a, a few more lines of code. Uh, and so let me explain this. So that's our looping mechanism. And so what we're saying is we're doing two looping mechanisms. One for just the first state because we have no data. We want to fill the data. And then we do our main looping mechanism, which is what we just did. No, a cell is not a tree data structure. It's just a, an analogy I was using. A, a tree has nothing to do with this. It was just an analogy. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> so, uh, so this is our loop, right? We're, this is the looping state. This is, we are doing this manually. And if you don't want to do this, TensorFlow has a line of code that does all of this for us. Okay, But we want to look at how this works. And so we are looping. We are taking that input and the previous time step, and we are feeding it back into the network. And that's going to give us our decoder output and the decoder final state. Do we care about the final state? No, we care about the output value. The only final state we care about is for our encoder. The only final state. That is true, Jordan. Uh, why do I have to listen to someone? It is my channel. It is true. I'm getting my own studio. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen soon. We are building up. We are building, guys. We are building an ML empire. And we are going to get there. Don't worry about it. Uh, so that's our decoder output. And we want to, what we want to do is that decoder output, we want to format it into a valid prediction. We want to format it into a valid prediction. And to do that, <clears throat> we're going to flatten the matrix. And then we're going to get that prediction value. Okay, so we're going to flatten the matrix and get that prediction value because we want our tensors to be the same size and shape. <clears throat> and the decoder prediction is going to be our final prediction value. Okay, and we're, what we're going to do, and I'll talk about what we're going to do, is what we're going to do is um, uh, we are going to minimize a loss using cross entropy. So. The decoder prediction and the actual value is what we're going to minimize. And let's talk about that. And the training we're function we're going to be using is Atom to do this. So now is for our helper functions. We, we define the, the helper function. Uh, th th this is the data that it's going to generate. Okay, It's going to be this sequence of numbers. And we're going to continuously generate that data using this next feed function for all those batches. We're going to add the end of sentence and pad it. Uh, and we're going to continuously do that and feed it into our uh, placeholders. And this is the training step where we're just a bunch of print statements and we're saying run the session, um, uh, compare the loss, 
and then print out the values and minimize the loss every time. So in one minute, let me explain exactly what's happening here. We have our input and our predicted output. Okay, so remember, these are our inputs are all of those generated values, 485, 486, and we're padding them with zeros. And our predicted value, remember, because we, uh, our predicted value is going to be that decoded output. And, we, and what we're minimizing is the difference between the predicted output and the initial input. And that's the loss that we are minimizing over time. So eventually, it's going to look like this where it's going to be, it, the predicted output is going to look exactly like the input. And I have this plot right here um, that shows just the loss minimizing, okay? So we, uh, so that's, that's it for the code. Um, next time I'm going to have more time and I'm going to take more, I'm going to have more time, okay? So, um, and the code is all there and documented and I'm going to add even more examples to the code for you. I have two other Python, IPython notebooks that I'm going to add to this code so you guys get extra help. Two questions and we're out of here. So. Yes, there are girls here. We need more women in machine learning. Women, thank you for being here. We need more women in machine learning. Spread the word and be nice, guys, okay? We, this is a, this is a uh, gender equal, equal opportunity place. Do you recommend, oh my god, okay, so do you, how do you choose learning rate for faster convergence? Remember, uh, uh, Virup, learning rate is one of those hyperparameters that we want to, that we kind of guess and check. Right, like all hyperparameters. But if you look at uh, papers, papers are a good source. Look at their results and copy them. And also GitHub code. And IPython notebooks because you can see the output. One more question and we're out of here. Okay. Uh, is it possible to train a standard RNN on a non-reverse translation problem where sentences are reversed? Yeah, because it would still be a sequence of words, right? I don't see why it wouldn't. It would, it would still be a sequence of words. Uh, you might have to flip uh, the, the direction. So maybe you would just have a backwards, uh, a backwards uh, layer instead of both a, a forward and a backwards layer. Uh, but yeah, you could absolutely do that. It's just a sequence. OK, so that's it for the questions. OK, thanks, guys, for showing up. I appreciate it. We need to learn how to learn our hyperparameters, okay? Uh, love you guys. Uh, code's gonna happen in, 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 at noon. A special thanks to Upload VR for the space, to Azad Balabanian for hosting this. Uh, and uh, please subscribe if you haven't. Tell your friends, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I'm trying to hit 100K by April 15th. That's the goal. Um, okay, and then 500K by the end of the year. I'm just saying it right now, so then I have to do it. 500K by the end of the year. For now, I've got to make this empire even bigger. So thanks for watching.